One of the saddest things to see is a man who disqualifies himself from being a pastor. And so often he disqualifies himself in either one of two ways, either because of some sexual misconduct or because he loved money and he made money a motivation for his ministry. Now, the New Testament talks a great deal about sexual purity, but when it comes to Christian leaders, it actually has more to say about the dangers of loving money. First of all, one of the qualifications listed in 1 Timothy 3 uh, for a pastor is that he must be free from the love of money. 1 Timothy 3, verse 3. Paul repeats essentially the same qualification in Titus chapter 1, verse 7, when he says that an elder must not be fond of sordid gain. The thought is he must not be greedy, he must not be covetous. In addition, in 1 Peter 5, in writing to elders of the church, Peter says this in verse 2. He says, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Again, a church leader is to be free from the love of money. We also have an Old Testament negative illustration of a leader who did love money, and that was the pagan soothsayer or prophet Balaam, who allowed himself to be hired in order to try to curse Israel. You'll recall that Jesus pointed out that the Pharisees, he said, were lovers of money, and as a result, they devoured widows' houses. How did they do that? By financially exploiting them. Also, out of love of money, the Jewish religious leaders of our Lord's Day turned the temple into a merchandise market. Now, the Apostle Paul was very conscious of the fact that how he handled his money and his ministry was extremely important. He realized that he had to do everything he could to avoid suspicion that his ministry was motivated by making money. This was especially important for him because as the apostle to the Gentiles, he preached the gospel to pagans who were not used to paying itinerant Jewish teachers money for their services. So they would naturally be skeptical of Paul. Who is this guy? What's he doing here? Why does he want any money? Why should we give him any money? And so Paul did everything he could to make sure that no one could accuse him of using his ministry for the purpose of financially benefiting himself. Now notice the lengths to which the apostle went to assure others that he was blameless in the area of money. I call your attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, where Paul said this, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim the gospel of God. So Paul tells us that he worked long hours, night and day, as a tent maker, so that he would not be a financial burden to the Thessalonians. Again, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul said, nor do we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. So Paul made sure that he paid for any meal that was served to him by a member of the church. No matter what they served him, Paul said, I'm going to pay for it so that he would not be a financial burden to anyone. Again, Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 33, his farewell address to the elders of the church at Ephesus. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs 
and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul tells us here not only did he work as a tent maker to financially support himself, but he actually worked so hard in order to support the members of his missionary team. So he was financially supporting others as well. Now, these are indeed wonderful insights into how the Apostle Paul conducted himself when it came to money and his ministry. However, it is in 1 Corinthians 9, the very place that we are studying these days, where the Apostle Paul opens up and explains his thinking. He explains his reasoning. He explains his rationale behind why he supported himself and refused to be paid for his ministerial services. And the reason this is so important for us to see, it isn't because Paul in in these verses that we're going to be studying is commanding anyone else to do what he did. There is no command. That was his choice. Meaning he does not insist that other pastors, other Bible teachers have to refuse to be compensated for their labors like he did. There's no command in scripture. Paul did this on his own and you'll see tonight why he did this. You see, the real value in learning why Paul refused to be financially compensated for his work amongst the Corinthians, and for that matter, anybody, is to see how much he valued the gospel message, and therefore the spread of the gospel, and how much he was willing to deny himself, to sacrifice himself, in order to make sure that he never hindered the gospel's progress by anyone being suspicious of his motives about money. So when I study these verses, its major impact on me, and I hope it'll be on you too, is that I'm driven. I'm driven to ask the Lord to give me the kind of heart that the Apostle Paul had to love Christ and to love the gospel so much that I'm willing to do whatever it takes in terms of sacrificing and denying myself so that the gospel would reach more and more people and that I would never be an obstacle to the progress of the gospel. And I pray that my response will be the same response that you will have, especially as you hear what the Lord has for us tonight in this passage. Now to begin with, I remind you, let's take a step back, at having instructed the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 about giving up their right to eat food sacrificed to an idol. Why? In order to keep from spiritually harming those in their church whose conscience, their weak conscience, would not allow them to eat food sacrificed to an idol, Paul then illustrated the truth of giving up one's rights in general by using himself as an example of how he gave up his right to be financially compensated for his work as an apostle. So, starting with verse 4, of chapter 9 and continuing until verse 14, which we studied last week, Paul lists seven reasons why, though he had every right to receive money from the Corinthians for his ministry to them, he's chosen to give up that right by refusing to be paid for his labors. Now, the only statement in these verses that gives us a clue as to why Paul did this is verse 12. Paul said, if others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use, it means we being his missionary team, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. 
Now, Paul says that he endured all things, meaning what? Meaning, as we saw last week, that he just kept quiet. He kept silent. That's what the the thought here is. He kept silent. He didn't complain about a lack of material possessions due to a shortage of funds. And he did so, he said, so that he would not be an obstacle to advancing the gospel because someone might think that his preaching was motivated by making money. Now, as I said, up to this point, this is really the only statement Only statement given by Paul as to why, when he had every right to be compensated by the Corinthians, I mean, that's his argument. He has a right to be compensated. This is the only statement that gives us any indication why he refused it. But now as we continue our study tonight, we're going to find out more about why Paul gave up his right to receive money for his ministry. So, starting with verse 15, 1 Corinthians 9, and going until the end of the chapter, Paul explains why he refused any financial compensation for his work as an apostle. And he does this by giving us three reasons for doing this. Tonight, we're only going to have time to look at the first two reasons, but uh, we will get to the third one eventually. So, having spent the first part of this chapter giving us reasons for why he had a right to be paid, Paul now spends the rest of the chapter explaining why he had the right to give up his right to be paid. First reason Paul gives for why he refused his right to be paid is because, number one, he did not want to lose his reward. Starting in verse 15, we read, But I have used none of these things, and I am not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case, for it would be better for me to die than to have any man make my boast an empty one. Having just listed the various reasons that he had a right to be paid by the Corinthians, Paul now states very clearly at the beginning of this verse that he used none of these things, meaning that in spite of all the reasons he's just listed and given, he didn't use any of them. Not one reason to demand payment for services rendered. He didn't use any of these seven reasons. Then he states that he hasn't written out all of these reasons, these seven reasons, to be paid. He hasn't written out these reasons to be paid in order for the Corinthians to say, oh, now we get it. Now we should send him some money. That's what Paul really wants. That's why he's telling us this. In other words, Paul is saying that he hasn't spelled out these reasons for paying him as a ploy, as a tactic, as a strategy, hoping that they'll now come to their senses and send him some money. So that's not why I'm doing this at all. And finally, at the end of this verse, Paul states that he feels so strongly about this that he would rather die than be paid for preaching the gospel. He said, for it would be better for me to die than to have any man make my boast an empty one. In other words, this was a conviction that Paul held to, being so convinced that he shouldn't take any money for his ministry, that he says he would rather die than have anyone think that he preached the gospel in order to financially benefit himself. I want you to notice something important. I want you to notice that Paul referred to his refusal to be paid for his services as his boast. Look at the verse again, as his boast. He says, for it would be better for me to die than have any man make, notice, my boast. An empty one. So what did he mean by this? Well, usually when we think of the word boast or boasting, it's in a negative sense, like someone who is arrogantly bragging about something. But that's not how Paul is using the word boast here. 
He's using it in a positive sense. He's using the sense of rejoicing. See, for Paul to advance the gospel free of charge gave him this incredible pleasure and joy and gladness of heart. This is what delighted the Apostle Paul. That was his boast. That the gospel was so valuable that he rejoiced that he had the privilege to preach it completely free of charge without being paid to do so. And he would rather die, he said, than have this privilege, this boast, be taken away from him. Now that's conviction. But now, having stated that he boasted or rejoiced in this, Paul proceeds to expand on this by clarifying that his boasting wasn't, note this, his boasting was not in preaching the gospel. That's not where his boasting was. But rather, it was in preaching the gospel without charging anyone money for preaching the gospel. Notice what he says next in verses 16 and 17. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I'm under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Now, what the apostle says here is something very interesting, but something that can be easily misunderstood. These are not the easiest verses to interpret, but we can, and we can know exactly what Paul meant. Starting in verse 16, he says that he has nothing to boast about when it comes to preaching the gospel. And the reason he gives for not boasting about his gospel preaching is that he's under compulsion to preach it. And what he means by this is that he's been given a command a commission by Christ to preach the gospel. So his preaching is out of necessity. As you know from the book of Acts, while Paul was traveling on the road to Damascus, an unconverted Jewish Pharisee wanting to throw Jewish Christians in prison, the Lord Jesus appeared to him. And not only did the Lord save him that day, but he commissioned Paul to preach the gospel to primarily the Gentiles. Speaking to a crowd of hostile Jewish people in Jerusalem, Paul said these words in Acts 22, verse 21, and he said to me, this is him telling the crowd what Jesus said to him on the road to Damascus, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And that's when they erupted. And you know what? That's exactly what Paul did. From the very moment that Jesus commissioned him as an apostle to the Gentiles to preach the gospel to them, Paul was absolutely obedient. And he took this command so seriously that he says at the end of verse 16, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. In other words, I'd better be obedient to the Lord and preach the gospel or else he's going to deal with me in discipline for my disobedience. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Listen, we don't have apostles today And Jesus doesn't call people to preach by physically appearing to them. Nevertheless, he still does call men to preach. And he does it by giving them this very strong internal desire to preach and teach God's word. They can't get away from this desire. They can't be content to do anything else but preach and teach the word. 1 Timothy 3 Verse 1 says it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires, and that means have a strong desire, to the office of an, of an overseer, means an elder or a pastor, it's a fine work he desires to do. That's how God calls men to preach. He gives them this burden in their hearts that they just 
aren't satisfied doing anything else. Concerning this call to preach, John MacArthur wrote this. He said, At some time or another, every preacher whom the Lord has called will realize he's under God's compulsion. It's not that God's calling cannot be ignored, neglected, or slighted, but that it cannot be changed. The man who resists God's call or who tries to give it up will, like Jeremiah, experience a burning fire shut up in his bones until he obeys. He has no choice. He's right. Folks, that's exactly what Paul is saying here to us in verse 16. And the reason he has nothing to boast about when it comes to preaching the gospel is because he had no choice in the matter. He had no choice in the matter. Christ called him, commissioned him to this ministry. All Paul did was obey and do what he was told to do. There is no boasting in that. And Paul further clarifies and explains this. Notice in verse 17, for if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Now, what Paul is saying here is that his preaching of the gospel, it was not, note this, it was not voluntary. He didn't volunteer. He didn't sign up to be a gospel preacher. He was drafted by Jesus to preach. If it was voluntary, he would get a reward. But it wasn't voluntary. Therefore, he gets no reward for doing what he was told to do. That's what he's saying. Now, we know The balance is this. We know from other scriptures in the New Testament that the Lord will certainly reward His servants for faithful service. 1 Peter 5.4 speaks of the Lord giving a crown of glory to faithful pastors. But that isn't what Paul is referring to here. He's not talking about faithfulness here, but about just doing what he was told to do. Just preaching. That's what he's talking about. Paul is like the slave Jesus spoke of in Luke 17.10. When the Lord said this, So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We've only done that which we ought to have done. Listen, there's no reward for doing what your master tells you to do. And Paul's master, the Lord Jesus Christ, told him to preach the gospel. And Paul did. But notice, notice how Paul explains his non-voluntary gospel preaching. Notice what he says at the end of verse 17. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Now, what does Paul mean by this? Does he mean that, yes, I preached, but I really didn't want to do it. It was against my will. I was forced to do this. No, he's not saying that at all. Paul loved the gospel. Paul loved to preach the gospel. The words against my will simply means... It simply means that he had no choice in the matter. The Lord didn't ask him what he thought. He didn't say, I'll sign up. I hear that you're, that you're looking for people to enlist. Me. Pick me. No. He didn't say that at all. Jesus just ordered him to be an ambassador for the gospel. And that's why he states that I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Meaning that in preaching, he was simply discharging a trust committed to him by Jesus. He loved it. But he really had no choice in the matter. It was Christ who called him, Christ who commissioned him, Christ who said, you will be the apostle to the Gentiles. Listen, the point that Paul is making is that there's no reward for him in preaching something he was commanded to preach. However, there was something that Paul did related to gospel preaching for which he did receive a reward. And he tells us what that reward is in verse 18. What then is my reward? 
that when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Now here Paul states that his reward, and he's using his reward like as synonymous with the term his boasting. His reward is that when he preaches the gospel, that he doesn't charge anyone for his preaching. Even though he had a right to expect to be paid for his ministry, he didn't use that right. He gave it up, and Paul is saying that his reward is the joy that it gave him. That's his reward. It gave him joy. That was his boast. As someone has cleverly put it, they said his pay was to serve without pay. So why was Paul so thrilled to do this? Listen closely. Because it revealed to others that his motives for preaching the gospel were pure. His motives were pure. It communicated to those that he ministered to that he had no interest in gaining anything from them in a material sense. He was interested in their souls, not in their money. Let me illustrate how Paul felt about this by reading to you something that I came across this week from Ray Stedman. Ray Stedman was, he's with the Lord now, but he was longtime pastor of Peninsula Bible Church in Palo Alto, California. He was there for many years, a very good Bible teacher. And here's what Ray Stedman wrote. He said, I was once invited by missionaries to speak at a Bible conference in the south of France. When they called, they said, we can't afford to give you an honorarium. I said, that's all right. I'll come anyway. Can you meet my travel expenses? They said, We'll certainly try. So I went to France and I spoke at a four-day conference south of Lyon. It was a great time of spiritual refreshment from the Word of God. At the close of the conference, my host said, we have a check for you. We don't know if it'll cover your expenses, but it's all the money that we could raise. I looked at the check. It scarcely covered half of my expenses. I turned the check over and endorsed it, then handed it back saying, cash this and use the money to establish a fund to bring other speakers to minister in the future. The look of surprise and joy on their faces was all the reward I needed. That's the reward that Paul talks about here. Folks, this was Paul's reward. This was Paul's boasting, his joy, that when he preached the gospel to others without charging them or expecting any monetary remuneration, he was thrilled He was just thrilled because it proved to those who heard him that his motives were pure and right, that he cared, as I said, about their souls rather than their bank accounts. That's a critical lesson for those of us in ministry to learn. Though there is no command in Scripture for a pastor to refuse pay for his services, I said that earlier, it is absolutely essential that A pastor never come across as doing ministry only for monetary gain. We should never charge people for our ministry. We should always guard our hearts against greediness and covetousness. It can destroy a man's ministry. So this is the first reason Paul gave for why he refused his right to be paid for his ministerial labors. It's because he didn't want to lose his reward. As Paul continues, he gives a second reason why he he refused his right to be paid. It's because, number two, he wanted to win people to Christ. This is just marvelous. Starting in verse 19. For though I'm free from all men, I've made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. 
to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. Now I want you to notice there are reoccurring words in these verses that tell you the burden of Paul's heart. Verse 19, so that I may win more. The beginning of verse 20, so that I might win Jews. The rest of verse 20, so that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21, so that I might win those who are without law. Verse 22, the beginning, that I might win the weak. And then Paul sums it all up at the last part of verse 22. I have become all things to all men so that I by all means save some. Now, what all these phrases mean, and they're all essentially saying the same things, that Paul's heart was to win people to Christ, to lead them to the Savior, to introduce them to Jesus, Jewish people, Gentile people, weak people. His goal was always the same, to bring people to the saving knowledge of faith in Jesus Christ. And his approach to these various groups of people, it was always the same. And folks, this is the key point that Paul is making. Note this, whenever he was with these different groups of people, he gave up his right, note this, to live any way he wanted to live. He did this by becoming a slave to them and adjusting himself to their lifestyle. So what he's doing here is telling us that beyond just giving up his right to be paid, this is even beyond that. He's given up a lot more of his rights for the sake of the gospel. It isn't just his honorariums. It isn't just compensation. It's every right he gave up. Let's take these verses one at a time and see what Paul means because what he reveals here about the way that he evangelized, it's one of the great truths about how we are to evangelize. So you've got to apply in principle to yourself these truths. He lays down his general approach to how we evangelize others by stating in verse 19, for though I'm free from all men, I've made myself a slave to all that I may win more. In other words, though he was a Roman citizen and therefore he was a free man, yet he voluntarily made himself a slave to others by giving up his rights to live any way he wanted to live so that he altered his lifestyle to accommodate those he was evangelizing. Now listen closely. This does not mean, and we have to explain this carefully, this does not mean that Paul ever compromised a biblical truth. He never did that He never compromised scripture to accommodate anyone. He never changed his message in order to make it more palatable. It just means that he gave up his liberty to do certain things that he might have wanted to do in order to not offend or turn off any particular group of people by his behavior. Listen to these wise words again by John MacArthur as he explains the way Paul lived and how important it is that we follow the apostles' example. MacArthur writes, He did not compromise the gospel. He would not change the least truth in the least way in order to satisfy anyone. But he would condescend in any way for anyone if that would in any way help bring him to Christ. He would never set aside a truth of the gospel, but he would gladly restrict his liberty in the gospel. He would not offend Jew, Gentile, or those weak in understanding. If a person, he writes, is offended by God's word, that's his problem. If he's offended by biblical doctrine, standards, or church discipline, that's his problem. That person is offended 
by God. But if he is offended by our unnecessary behavior or practices, no matter how good and acceptable those may be in themselves, his problem becomes our problem. It's not a problem of law, but a problem of love. And love always demands more than law. Some good words. Listen, what he's saying is that if you want to be in a position to have credibility with someone and hopefully lead them to faith in Christ, then you have to give up your rights. You have to give up your rights to do what you want to do because doing what you want to do may indeed turn people off. It may insult them to the point where they won't listen to you when you tell them about Christ. This will be clear as we see how Paul conducted himself with certain groups of people. First, he speaks about how he behaved when he was with Jewish people. To the Jews, verse 20, he said, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. Paul says that he adapted and he adjusted his behavior when he was with Jewish people. Though Paul himself was Jewish, when he became a believer in Christ, he realized that he no longer was obligated to live by Old Testament ceremonies, rituals. He was no longer obligated to observe Jewish holy days or to eat kosher food or to live by certain Jewish traditions. Paul was not obligated to do that. But though he didn't have to live by these Jewish laws and customs anymore, Paul is saying that when he was with Jewish people, people who are under the law, interacting with them, speaking to them about Jesus, doing life before them, he did observe these Jewish Old Testament laws and traditions. Now, he certainly didn't do it to be saved. But he did observe these. And the reason he did this was to win Jewish people to Christ by not doing anything that would turn them off so that when he wanted to speak about Jesus, they weren't interested. That's what Paul is saying. This is why, folks, we read in the book of Acts, for example, that in chapter 16, verse 3, Paul had Timothy circumcised. Now, Timothy's mother was Jewish. His father was a Greek Gentile. And Paul had Timothy circumcised as an adult, not because God's word commanded it, because God's word does not command it now, but it was to remove any hindrance Any hindrance to the gospel because Jewish people simply would not have listened to Timothy if he was not circumcised. That's what Paul is talking about. When I was with Jewish people, I behaved like that. I didn't compromise the truth, but I behaved in a certain way that opened doors for them to listen to me. Also, we see, for example, Paul's approach to adjust his way to Jewish people when he agreed at the suggestion of James in Acts chapter 21 to undergo a Jewish ritual in the temple so that the Jewish people in Jerusalem would know that he was not teaching Jews to forsake the Mosaic law. Listen, what Paul is telling us is that even though he did not have to live like an unsaved Jewish person by keeping Old Testament laws, he did it anyway. He made himself a servant to the Jewish people so that they would be more receptive to listening to what he had to say when he spoke about Jesus. So let me illustrate it this way. It would be like a missionary to the Jewish people today observing Jewish holidays like Passover, like Hanukkah, eating only kosher food, doing this not because they have to, not because it gives them merit before God. They know that they're saved by grace alone, but they do this in order to avoid insulting those that they're ministering to and to identify 
with them so people can relate to them so that they would be more willing then to listen to the missionary share the gospel. Likewise, Paul continues, when he was with the Gentiles, he adjusted his behavior so that he could win some of them to Christ. Verse 21, to those who are without law, those are the Gentiles, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. Though Paul was Jewish, he says that when he was with Gentiles, he lived like a Gentile. Can you imagine an ex-Pharisee living like a Gentile? But that's what Paul said he did. He dressed like a Gentile. He ate the same foods that they ate. He participated in their customs. He visited the places that they visited. In other words, he lived completely different from the way he lived when he was with Jewish people. And he did this simply because he wanted to win some Gentiles to faith in Christ. He gave up his rights. Folks, that's the point he's making. He gave up his rights. But notice what Paul adds. He doesn't want to be misunderstood. He says that by living like the Gentiles who did not live by God's law, he doesn't mean that he threw off all biblical moral restraints and lived apart from God's law. Paul always lived by the moral laws of the Ten Commandments, regardless of who he was with. He referred to how he lived, he says, as under the law of Christ, meaning that he was under Christ's authority. He was under his authority to, to obey him, motivated by love rather than legal obligation, in submission to Christ. And then having told us that with Jewish people, he lived like a Jew, and with Gentile people, he lived like a Gentile, now he adds a third group of people he made an evangelistic adjustment to. He tells us in verse 22, to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. So the question is, who is he referring to here? Who are the weak people that Paul has in mind? Well, having just spoken in chapter 8 about those in Corinth who had a weak conscience that would not allow them to eat any food sacrificed to an idol, we might assume that those are the same weak people that he's referring to. But that doesn't really fit. And I've had to think this thing through during the week. It doesn't really fit, and I'll tell you why. Because he talks about winning them to Christ. That's the context. That's the closest context. He's talking about evangelizing. So, you're not going to evangelize the Corinthians. They're already evangelized. The weak, conscienced believers at Corinth Yes, they were weak in their conscience, but they were still believers. You don't have to win them to Christ. They're already Christians. So by weak, Paul must be referring to another group of unsaved people that he was trying to reach for Christ. So then it would appear that by weak, Paul has in mind those who are weak mentally, those who had a difficult time grasping the truths of the gospel, those who needed a simple explanation of the gospel, and Paul, brilliant scholar that he was, accommodated their needs by patiently presenting the gospel in the simplest terms that he could think of. He did not want to impress them with his academic qualifications. He just wanted to lead them to Christ. Well, regardless of who exactly Paul had in mind, when he spoke of the week, the primary thing the primary thing that he's telling us is that he gave up all of his rights by living just like this group. 
And he did this gladly because as he sums it all up in verse 23, he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. In other words, he gave up all of his rights, his right to live a certain way, his right to eat certain foods, his right to dress a certain way, his right to go places he wanted to go, his right to do things that he wanted to do. He did it all, he says, for the sake of the gospel so that when people he witnessed to were saved, he says he then became a fellow partaker of the gospel in the sense that he shared in the blessings of these folks receiving Christ, receiving the gospel. Now listen, there is a lot that we have covered and we've learned tonight. I understand that. But don't miss the primary point of these verses, which is to convince us that the way to live the Christian life is by giving up your rights for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. People coming to know the Lord is far more important than anything else. So we must be willing to adjust the way we live so that others will be more receptive, more open when we speak to them about Jesus. So how do you apply this? What adjustments, and you need to ask the Lord this, just as I'm asking the Lord in my life, what adjustments do I need to make, Lord? What adjustments do you need to make to be a better witness to others? Only the Lord can give you wisdom on that. But here's what one man gave up so that he could be the very best witness to his family. Following story I'm about to read to you is about an incident that took place, took place at a church picnic. I'm just going to read it. Everyone at the picnic was a Christian, including a young man who had been converted to Christ from Islam. A young lady was passing out sandwiches to people in the group, and she went to the former Muslim and said, would you like a ham sandwich or pork? Don't you have any beef sandwiches left? The young man asked. I'm sorry, they're all gone. Then I won't have a sandwich. Thanks anyway. The young woman said, I know you couldn't eat pork as a Muslim, but now you're a Christian. You're free to eat any food you like. He responded, I know I'm free to eat pork, he said, but I'm also free not to eat it. Let me say that again. I know I'm free to eat pork, but I'm also free not to eat it. I'm trying to be a witness, he said to my family. They're all Muslims living in the Middle East. I visit them once a year, and I know that when I arrive, the first question my father will ask me is, have those infidels taught you to eat that filthy hog meat yet? If I say, yes, father, I'll be banished and no longer be able to witness to my family. But if I say, no pork has ever passed my lips, then I will continue to have a relationship with my family, and I can tell them of the joy I found in Jesus Christ. So I choose not to eat because of my love for my family and my love for Jesus Christ. Listen, like Paul, this young man gave up his rights for the sake of the gospel. Go and do likewise, whatever it takes. And if you don't know Jesus Christ personally, understand that we who do know him, we value the gospel so much that like Paul, we would rather die than hinder it. That's how much we think of it. What is the gospel? It'd be silly for me to talk about the gospel tonight and not tell you what it is. The gospel is this, Christ died for sinners. If you're a sinner, you are a sinner who deserves judgment. But if you're a sinner who's never trusted Christ, understand you deserve judgment. Christ loves you. He died for sinners so that you could be forgiven. Repent, which means forsake, turn away from your sin. Place your trust in Christ alone for your salvation. That 
in a nutshell, is the gospel. Christ died for sinners like you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this magnificent passage by Paul. What a man. What a man he was. What an example he is to us, Lord. Help us to know how to apply this. Lord, I'm, I'm asking you in my life, in the life of our people, to know how we put these truths into practice. What would you have us to give up in terms of reaching people, in terms of evangelizing, in terms of not turning people off, Lord? Whatever it is, show us. We don't want to hold back anything. We value the gospel so much that we are willing to do whatever it takes to lead people to Christ. So Lord, we do pray if there's any here or any watching, live stream, who've never trusted Christ, open their hearts, draw them to yourself that they might come to Jesus for salvation. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.